1: Hi, and greetings from beautiful Scottsdale, Arizona. So glad you could join us today. I'm excited about our show today because we're going to delve into the relatively new science of cannabis. I say relatively new because for more than 80 years, the scientific and medical research has been off limits for legitimate study. It's no secret that prohibition didn't stop millions of people from using marijuana for healing and relaxation. But let's face it, prohibition has been dangerous. Most users knew that breaking the law was a risk to their freedom. And in the backs of their minds, they also knew that dealing with the criminal element had potential to be, well, unsafe. But for fans of cannabis, the benefits far outweighed the risk. After all, it's a plant that brings them comfort and pleasure. It's not nearly as dangerous as the anti-drug propaganda says, right? Well, maybe not. Now that new state laws have opened the doors to scientific study, we're learning that unregulated marijuana can be dangerous to your health. That makes sense when you consider that marijuana bought on the street is likely not tested for purity, toxins, or other dangerous pathogens. I mean, who in their right mind would grill their local dealer to find out where their marijuana was grown? That's what my guests are here to discuss today. But let's introduce them in just a minute. I want to get a news update from our cannabis reporter, Nate Nichols. What do you have for us today, Nate?
2: Thanks, Snowden. There really are a lot of exciting developments happening around the country on the testing front. Earlier this summer, Oregon issued its first two state licenses for marijuana testing facilities. In all, so far 17 labs have applied to be state licensed. Officials in Oregon were worried that testing would be the bottleneck in their market. They've already issued 200 producer licenses, most with large-scale cultivations. The State Liquor Commission estimates that these labs will need to test 2,500 samples each month uh, to be comparable with the demand that they've seen in Colorado and Washington. There was a lot of worry that there wouldn't be enough state-licensed labs, and that would be the holdup in the production. In Colorado... Uh, A bill was recently signed which requires that medical marijuana be tested using the same standards that recreational marijuana is. It's a little ironic to think that recreational products were tested before medical products, but the sad reality is that many medical testing laws around the country don't include testing provisions. This is a trend that we can expect to see coming to other states as well. As recreational legalization moves forward, the same testing standards will probably be applied to the existing medical programs in many states. California recently passed a new law which will impact many businesses uh, which will impact all marijuana businesses in the state of California. Part of that law requires that California develop comprehensive testing standards. Previously, all medical marijuana was untested in the state of California.
1: Thanks so much, Nate. Um, stick around. <laughs> I want you here. While we introduce our guests, we have Ryan Tracy and Dr. Zach Hildebrand, who are principals at C4 Laboratories, which is a company that conducts testing on cannabis for purity and toxicity. And I'm so glad both of you could be here today.
0: Thanks for having us. Thank you very much. Pleasure.
1: You're actually taking um, cannabis to a whole new level with what you're doing because, you know, obviously testing is not required, at least not here in Arizona right now. But, but I think that it's so important because it really needs to elevate the standards and make people realize that there is a vast difference in the in the types of marijuana that they can buy. Tell me about it.
0: Yeah, yeah, there really is. I think you know, uh, not only is it important to identify some of the safety aspects that come along with cannabis, but I think it's equally as important to make sure you have a, an approach that's targeted to the therapy that you're utilizing it for. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have information that we can identify those different cannabinoids and different terpenes that uh, possess therapeutic benefits, and we can get real targeted on the on the symptoms that you are, uh, that you're you're dealing with so I think that's that's one of the very most important aspects yeah,
3: and if I, I may just add there, I mean when we started our operations in Mesa, Arizona back in two thousand and fifteen. Uh, we found very, very quickly that we're crawling out of the primordial ooze, if you will, of the Cheech and Chong uh, Spicoli era. I mean, this is we're coming from the perspective of, well, I'm just going to use this. I'm going to smoke this cannabis. I'm going to get high and I'm going to get hungry. And that's the end result. Well, the truth of the matter is that there are a number of natural products, not just THC, Um, We're hearing a little bit more about CBD these days, but there's other pertinent uh, cannabinoids there. There's also uh, highly volatile uh, molecules called the terpenes. These give you the flavor, the fragrance, um, but they also have a tremendous amount of therapeutic potential. And so when we characterize cannabis, and certainly when we're talking in Arizona about medical cannabis, the thought that you could be speaking in a medical context yet not have the analytical data to support that is quite vexing to me. And so that's where really where we we got started. Uh, We really want to uh, shift that paradigm, shift that equilibrium so that people can get that analytical data on their on their cannabis. Uh, They can be better informed about how to use it. And ultimately, that's going to make a a safer utilization and and obviously avoid any kind of uh, negative outcomes that patients may have when they don't know what they're they're using.
1: Yeah. Tell me about some of the um, dangerous pathogens that are found in medicinal and recreational marijuana
3: so i mean you can in terms of pathogens there 's a number of different uh, microbes that that can be uh, you know live host in the in the cannabis i mean you have bacteria um, e coli you can have um, Uh, salmonella. You can have Staph aureus. I mean, you can even have Pseudomonas aeruginosa. Um, In Arizona, for example, um, we have a very, very extreme climate. And then in this time of the year, you have shifts in, obviously, precipitation, shifts in humidity, and that can really uh, provide a a facilitative environment for these microbes to to grow in these growth operations. So you have the the bacteria, you have fungi, which can have a, a deleterious effect on one's pulmonary system. And so that's something that we look at right away. I mean, do you have any of those what are called exogenous microbes that you do not want in your cannabis? Uh, Secondarily, anytime someone is growing a natural product, there is the need to control it uh, with chemicals. And we obviously are not advocates for that approach. We believe that, you know, it should be grown organically. But, you know, people are using pesticides, fungicides to control these microbes. Uh, They're also using growth regulators to basically uh, push the equilibrium of the cannabis plant in a certain direction that provides a, a favorable phenotype. Um and then ultimately when you're making these concentrates, I mean cannabis is not just a flower that we're rolling up and smoking these days. Uh cannabis is present in many forms in concentrates, in edibles, lozenges, um tinctures, uh oral sprays, even suppositories. Right. And so but when people are making these concentrates, I mean they're basically using a number of different uh whether they could be propane, uh they could be butane um to basically break down some of that cannabis flower and extract out those pertinent molecules. Um, you also have alcohols. You can have chlorinated compounds in there. And so we need to screen those products to make sure that those uh, the levels of those um, additives, if you will, during the extraction process are at a safe enough level so that the product is, again, within a proper medical context and it doesn't do more harm than good.
1: Right. Well, it it seems as though even without the mandate for testing here in Arizona, and I know that some other states, which I think maybe Nate could even speak to at some point, um, the mandate for testing is not really there
3: yet. No, I know. It's strange.
1: But it seems like um, by self-regulating, if if the distributors of medical marijuana or um, the growers are sort of managing themselves in that way, the testing that you're doing is actually helping them to set a good standard, isn't it?
3: Certainly. Um, If we look at uh, some of the most successful and legitimate operators in the Arizona market, for example, we have uh, our colleagues at Uncle Herb's they are, in my opinion, you know, uh, not only setting a trend and setting the standard for how products should be tested, um, but they're very, very concerned in product quality, consistency, homogeneity, and, uh, and innovating new products. And so with that, you have to do the product development and do the testing to know that your products are consistently good and, uh, you know, marketable. Um, and uh, I think that the larger operators that uh, understand this you know, they can then get that testing, they can market their products more effectively, the products move much more quickly, and ultimately by spending that money on the testing, you uh, are able to market your products a lot more effectively.
1: Yeah, Ryan, are you finding the same thing? I mean, your background is basically business and finance and, you know, profitability and that yes, sort of thing. Is.
0: Yes, it is. And, and, and that's exactly right. I think some of our larger clients and, and even some of our small, smaller clients, really, the most important thing is that they're open-minded, mm-hmm. that they really want to know, where's my baselines, where am I starting at, right? There, I think there was, a, I, I, I guess, a trend earlier on where people just wanted to have the most potent and the, you know, highest grade strain. As we find out more about the plant and that there's a variety of different, you know, beneficial elements to it, um, you know, people really start optimizing their process, and they're getting much, much better at what they do. Um, you see, you know, maybe some more mature markets like California and Oregon, uh, they've already gone through that, and you see great products coming out of there. And I will tell you that since we've started to where we are now, there's a drastic improvement by and large from our clients and certainly uh, uh, as a market as a whole. Um, we had the, uh, the pleasure of testing for the Earl Cup, which was about 165 different samples from all across the valley. And it, uh, it really opened our eyes to see the improvement over the previous one to this one and seeing that the safety levels are where they should be. Potency is, you know, uh, it's good, clean medicine. And that's what we hope to see, and that's what we're here to do ultimately is to protect the patient and kind of help all these people in the industry continue to innovate and improve.
2: Yeah, Nate, you've been to these uh, Earl Cups quite a few times, I'm sure. Definitely. They're, they're very unique events, and I think they're doing a lot to uh, drive the focus on patient, patient protection in Arizona and kind of encourage dispensaries to do more self-regulation because... You know, without events like that, there's really not a whole lot that's drawing public attention to the issue of testing and consumer safety. And so I think they're doing a lot to advance that mission in Arizona.
1: Yeah, it's sort of a a peer competition, if you will. Absolutely. Well,
0: I think ultimately, I mean, just like any industry, you know, it's uh, the consumers or the patients right now. You know, hopefully in November we also can add recreational people to that as well. But they're voting with their dollar. Mm -hmm. And they they have a right to know what they're putting in their body, whether it's safe, whether it's going to treat what they're looking to treat, um, and whether they're getting the honest and and true visible information about that product. You know, for some reason, you know, it's not there yet, but I hope hope it is very soon that, you know, testing results are made readily available online where you can see and they can prove that everything was, you know, tested and that it is exactly as advertised.
1: Yeah, there's nothing like a little bit of consumer – a consumer um – Pressure, yeah, you know, yeah, and, they just
0: have to know what, what questions to ask, and, right. and and I think that it's the responsibility of you know the dispensary owners and the caregivers and those people to to understand you know that these patients deserve to know you the know, patients the, should ask.
3: The analogy that I always give is you know you would never go into a Walgreens or a CVS and uh, you, let's say you have uh, a, a particular condition and then just dip your hand in a bucket of pills that are all different shapes, sizes, and colors and hope for the best. So why should we be utilizing cannabis medicine the same way? No, I mean, if I have uh, PTSD or if I have irritable bowel syndrome, I want to be using a cannabis strain or a cannabis product that has that targeted use because I want to be confident every single time I go to get that medicine that it's going to work effectively. Because I think a lot of people without that knowledge, it's a lot of hit or miss. Okay, it worked this night. It didn't work this night. And then there's a lot of frustration. And then some people give up and then go back into pharmaceutical drugs. And that's, uh, that's certainly what we're not advocating for. We want people to have a successful therapeutic outcome every single time to use this mes- uh, m- uh, medicine in a targeted fashion.
1: Right. Yeah. And, and the testing also really helps people to manage dosing.
3: Yes. Yes. yes, absolutely. One of the uh, kind of uh, pertinent concerns in the market is edibles. And everyone seems to be gravitating towards edibles as like that initial step into cannabis. Mm-hmm. And that's actually kind of dangerous if you don't know what you're dealing with for a couple of factors. One, when you ingest cannabis through an edible, it's going to go through your digestive tract and it's going to take about 45 minutes to elicit some response secondarily, once that hits your liver, you're not just dealing with THC Delta 9, which is uh, psychotropic. You're dealing with THC Delta 11, which is a much more powerful psychotropic agent. And so not only are you waiting for you know 45 minutes for this to kick in, uh, secondarily, it's going to kick in really, really hard. So you, you generally what happens is you'll have, uh, let's say, a, a 100 milligram brownie with 100 milligrams of THC. Okay. How many people do you know that can eat half of a brownie. They say, oh, this brownie has two servings. Take half of that, wait 45 minutes and then, you know, see how you feel. No, I mean, I'm watching Netflix and I have the whole brownie. I don't feel anything. So I have a second brownie. And then by that time I've overdosed. I know I'm not going to go to the hospital or I'm not going to be in serious danger, but I'm not going to have a favorable outcome. I'm going to feel ill. I'm going to feel lightheaded. I may throw up. And as a result of that experience, now I'm not going to go back to cannabis edibles. And that's right. a, a real shame. And so that's where the testing can really, really help. I mean, we see some people that they come in with their products and they say, well, each of these gummy bears is 10 milligrams. And it turns out, no, these gummy bears are actually 15. And you're off by a factor of, you know, 0.5. Um, Secondarily, so basically, they're able to optimize their process and say more accurately state to their clients, you know, instead of just taking five of these, you know, you only need to take three because they're actually 15 as opposed to 10. Um, so, I mean, in, in my opinion, that's a much more intelligent way of going about and utilizing medicine.
0: Yeah, and I, and I think that highlights a, you know, a really good point that Zach made is, is on the packaging right now in Arizona, when you don't have a mandated you know testing program, you don't have a protocol, you don't have them as a, as a requirement, um, how they're labeling and what their label claims are is really left to the integrity of the business, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have they validated that? Have they made sure that statistically that's accurate or did they test one brownie out of 5,000 and say that must be what it is? You know, So so those are the type of things that some of the clients have figured out and they understand and they've gotten to the point where their dosing is, is getting extremely accurate. Right. Um, so that, that's really what we like to see.
1: And are you finding the that the testing methods are pretty consistent across state lines?
0: Um, You know, actually there is a a great deal of variance, I think, from from the analytical front and the scientific front when you go state to state. Um, You know, I think everybody's trying to do the best they can, and I think some states are learning from previous ones and they're finding the pitfalls and hopefully trying to avoid those. But there is a great deal of variance as far as how some of those limits are set, what bodies they utilize to set those standards, um, you know, because the federal government isn't involved and because there isn't a blanket you know, regulation over the, over the country, every state varies, right? And they do the very best they can, but some have consulted the people that, that truly understand analytical chemistry and understand cannabis in general. And then other states have tried to do it on their own, and they've set standards that aren't necessarily realistic for those cultivators, producers, and, and for the people, for the whole industry to function. Right. They've almost put a stranglehold on it by regulation, so unfortunately every state has a great deal of variance and i think you know we got to figure that out
1: so it seems as though cannabis needs its own sort of fda if you Absolutely. will kind of its own governing body that can it does help.
0: and there's and there's a number of of people out there that are trying to do that i mean mm-hmm. there, there's a number of people out there are trying to to establish standards you know but the only problem is is that you're you're functioning within just one state so you're kind of. You know that's your environment, and that's the climate that you have to operate in. So, to make a blanket, you know, fundamental policy or a standard may not work in each state because right. there is that kind of variance in what the requirements are. You know how they're written.
1: Yeah, exactly. And in states like Arizona, where there are no mandates whatsoever, I mean, it really is the wild west, right? It's
0: it's, you know? it's it is. It's crazy to me. I mean, this is this is a, this is a medical product that we're putting in people's bodies, and. Yes, it's a natural product. It's, it's by and large completely harmless. It's not going to stop your heart or stop you from breathing. I mean, that's been proven a million times over, but there still is the – you have to take in consideration that people are putting this in their body, and mm-hmm. we, we owe it to them to make sure that it is everything we claim it to be.
1: Yeah. Well, at least it's a far cry from, you know, buying it from the street vendor, right? <laughs> you, you can only imagine <laughs> what might be there, yeah. Yeah. I, and Dr. Hildebrand, what studies are really on the horizon
3: Well, I mean, in terms of, you go to uh, a website like pubmed.org, and that's going to be an electronic library of peer-reviewed studies on any topic. And you type in cannabis research, and there's really nothing. Um, There's a couple of uh, murine studies where they're testing some of these molecules in mice. Uh, but we know that metabolism of mice is not necessarily comparable to the metabolism of humans or primates, for that matter. Mm-hmm. And so, there's been so many restrictions on cannabis that it has really uh, impeded the research. I mean, we hear anecdotally that there's a tremendous amount of research being done in uh, Israel, uh, but there's none of that data is getting uh, published. So we don't really know. Um, One thing I can say, and it's really, really critical to our mission at C4 Laboratories, is we started what's called the C4 Cannabinomics Collaborative. So we're actually collaborating with academic scientists at the University of Texas at Arlington, um, in particular University of Washington as well, where we have world-renowned analytical chemists who are looking for uh, new molecules. We're we're discovering novel molecules that no one has ever discovered before, and we're going to be able to, A, discover them, figure out what they do, and then secondarily, figure out how we can improve what those things do. Um, And so basically, we're about to publish a study right now where we're characterizing individual cannabis chemotypes. And uh, what that means is that you have a lot of people talking about, well, I only smoke Indicas and then I only utilize Sativas. And okay, that's one way of differentiating the two. But now you have people interbreeding the two different plants together. And before you know it, raspberry cough turns into raspberry cough and lemonade. It turns into lemonade pumpkin ale. And then before you know it, you have a million different names. And nobody knows what the actual genesis of where this came from, where the genetics lead back to. Um, And so that's a problem. And so the way we're going about it is characterizing... um, couples, families of, of, of different strains based on their natural constituents. So based on their cannabinoid profile, we're looking at 10 major cannabinoids, Twenty-eight different uh, terpene molecules. We're actually able to do statistical analyses, particularly what's called a PCA analysis, a principal component analysis, to actually couple individual strains based on their constituents, and then we can better classify these these, these strains of cannabis. So that's kind of one thing that we're continually working on, and, and we're going to publish that data. I mean, we also another key factor in C4 is we produce peer-reviewed uh, quality data. You know, I'm a scientist. I, I continue to publish in the peer review on, on other studies. And so it's important for us to raise awareness about cannabis medicine and to add legitimacy to the testing. We have to be publishing just like every other scientist, whether you're at Johns Hopkins University, Harvard, or UT Southwestern, you name it. We want to be publishing in the same journals as those major research uh, outlets. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's really a, a critical thing. I mean, and, and again, um, getting back to the exploratory work. Uh, there are molecules, I know they're there, uh, that no one has ever seen, and we will discover very, very quickly. And, and basically, because of the restrictions and secondarily, you have people that we've brought in, for example, um, from typical uh, traditional research backgrounds uh, coming into the cannabis field. And so they're utilizing million-dollar instruments where we're able to find things down to the parts per quadrillion. And then we can take that discovery and figure out how that alters gene expression and identifying individual pathways and identifying how that, that molecule affects that person. And then ultimately, we can optimize that. If we determine the structure of these molecules, we can do molecular binding assays and figure out maybe how we could make that uh, particular molecule more effective. And secondarily, we can identify which strains uh, have the highest concentration of said molecule. So if we find a new molecule, and let's say this is the world's best fat loss drug, Okay. Um, Then we would obviously, in addition to understanding how that process works molecularly and genetically, we would then use that information to go back and say, okay, we've actually, of the 1,000 strains we've ever tested, we've identified four that have a really high concentration of this, and so if you have uh, metabolic syndrome, or you're overweight, or you're looking to be uh, diabetic... This is something that you could use, and so we make that prescription to those people. I mean, that's how science is supposed to work. You're supposed to make discoveries to inform people to make more, you know, better decisions and, and to improve their lifestyle. That's what we're here for. Yeah.
1: yeah. It, it sounds like, um, also, with all of this data that you're, you're collecting, you're going to be able to make some quantitative comparisons between traditional pharmaceuticals that are currently being used for those conditions, and cannabis as an alternative. Is that correct? Yeah,
3: yeah, absolutely. And one thing that I'm particularly interested in, and I'm coming from a a traditional background as a biochemist where I was developing a treatment for chronic myeloid leukemia. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were working with a drug called imatinib, which uh, it goes by the name of Gleevec. And this helps kids with uh, chronic myeloid leukemia, a horrible affliction, and as it turns out, this, this pill is very, very effective, and the, the leukemia goes away right away, but you take the pill away, and the leukemia comes right back. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's not economically feasible for families that have to pay $1,500 a pill every day. Um, so we were working on a treatment. We found that arsenic, which typically has a bad name, you find you hear about arsenic in groundwater uh, leading to kidney cancer and other blood-borne cancers— um, The right amount of arsenic trioxide actually was able to sustain the effects of the imatinib when the imatinib was taken away. So uh, we had shown this to work in a number of different mouse studies, and uh, I left that field for, for other research. But, you know, I was able to identify just how finite the concentrations have to be to make this to work. Because if you give them too much arsenic trioxide, they die. If you right. don't give them enough, then it doesn't elicit the right response. And I don't think that uh, because of the, the way we have our natural receptors in our body, I don't think that our body's going to be as sensitive to those types of factors as they are in the pharmaceutical realm. I mean, again, a lot of these compounds they're, they're making, there's a reason why when you take p- pill X, you have to take pill Y and, and, and Z to counteract what you got there. And then you, you end up taking 20 pills. Um, we don't, I don't foresee that being the case with, with cannabis medicine. But again, we're just at the, the very nascent stages of this. We're just diving into this right now. Um, I obviously, and, and us at C4, you know, we are very excited about the frontier of medicine that we're on right now. I mean, I understand that we have a tremendous amount of work ahead of me. And uh, the, the best thing that we can do is collaborate with world-renowned scientists to each chip in and, and work together on this. You know, this isn't something that us as a group or a group of scientists can take on ourselves. We need large consortiums all across the world uh, analyzing these things from different angles because there's a lot at stake here. I mean, there's, there's children that are being, you know, struggling with epilepsies, and you, you see that they get on THC and a, a CBD uh, rich oil, and they go from having 60 epilepsy, epileptic seizures a day to having four a month. Mm-hmm. You know, that's very, very telling. But, you know, I think that um, there we can have a tremendous influence on other things, you know, things like uh, neuro- neurological diseases. Um, you know, obviously, we have a, a, a pandemic of obesity and obesity-related diseases in this country. And uh, one thing I'm particularly interested in is finding something that's cannabis-related that can help those folks.
1: Mm-hmm. And pain and inflammation. Uh, well, yeah, and no, I mean, diseases, and, that, and that's, like-
3: yeah, absolutely. I mean, people compare, you know, how does cannabis relate to opioids? Mm-hmm. And how does cannabis relate to alcohol um, in terms of pain management? And, and you can't even compare the two in terms of pain management or safety. Um, I mean, I firmly believe that cannabis is safer than ch- cheddar cheese. I mean, cheddar cheese yeah. uh, elevated uh, Cholesterol, blood pressure, uh, arterial plaques. I mean, that's what you get from cheddar cheese. Um, There's a number of therapeutic benefits of cannabis. There's really no downside uh, that we've seen that's been able to be quantified yet. And uh, so I I, I hope that we can stop making the comparison to opioids or uh, to alcohol because it's a whole new thing. It's just we just haven't had the time and the resources to characterize it properly. But we're, we're on our way.
1: Ryan, I know that this is really just a matter of elevating perceptions.
0: That's exactly right. It's a, it's a matter of education, and I think, you know, as you look at the political climate and the social climate and kind of the pro- progress you see across the country, um, though it's not as fast as I think as a lot of us would like it, um, the recent decision by the DEA not to deschedule or reschedule cannabis, I think... Uh, by and large, was looked at as, as, as kind of a, a failure to move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but out of that, we've also had now the opportunity that, that academic institutions can now, you know, have federally approved uh, grows, which though may not seem like a big deal, it is. Because right now, any, any clinical research that is approved, which is very, very few that have actually earned the approval, they have to go get their medicine from NIDA's Grow in Mississippi. Well, that grow in Mississippi is not apples to apples to what medicine can, medicinal cannabis is available to patients, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're going to put in all this time and all this effort into the research, make sure that at least what you're utilizing in that research is, in fact, what they're likely going to be utilizing in a medical cannabis program or in a recreational state. So I, I think there is small movement forward, but thank goodness there's movement because now we have people like Dr. and and other, you know, very, very intelligent chemists out there that up until this point have been dedicated to traditional fields and now they can take <clears throat> their aptitude and, and their abilities and they can dedicate it to a plant that in my opinion has just limitless potential. Yeah. I mean, there are so few cons compared to the pros that it, it, I mean, it's so exciting to me, not even being, you know, a, a chemist or a scientist by any by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. It's still so exciting to me to see what kind of impact this can have on children, on families, on, you know, just the broad spectrum oh, of society. Society in yeah, general. Yeah, society in general, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Well, in in a way, it's a blessing that it wasn't rescheduled from Schedule 1 to Schedule 2 because Schedule 2 has its own, you know, cluster of limitations. Yeah, I mean, limitations.
0: I, I, I want to see progress, but I also don't want to see progress that is – um, it's it's serving only the few, right? As opposed to being you know correct for the plant and showing respect to the people that can benefit from it. Yeah. Um, I would hate to see you know a methodical approach where some people are allowed in the door and others aren't, and then we come to a point where it's I don't want to say corporatized, but but basically you have large companies that come in, or pharmaceuticals, or the people that have the resources to really corner it. I don't want to see that happen, in my personal opinion, because I want to make sure that it's available to the masses and that. You know, it's not just the few that benefit from it, but everybody.
1: Right. But all putting up the doors for research right now is actually, it's great even though it's still a Schedule 1 um, because by the time they get around to the – it seems they go through this every single year. They want to reschedule it to something. And by the time they get around to it next year, there will be that much more research to show, hey, wait, this doesn't even need to be a Schedule 2.
0: Well, its it's kind of funny because it was – it was all misinformation and propaganda right. that made us, uh, you know, make it, make it illegal in 37. Uh-huh. And then now here we have facts and we have things that are far beyond an anecdotal at this point. Yeah. Um, so hopefully as we continue to, to delve in and to research and to get more facts, um, we can just start beating those people over the head with it and say, come on, it's, it's time to wake yeah. up and, and see what we have in front of us. I mean, you can only deny it for so long until, I mean, you have people like Dr. Hildebrandt and other people, like, hey, you trust me with a multitude of other very important issues and it's coming for me that, yeah, this is exactly as advertised. Right. It's an amazing plant. And, and there are
1: so many deleterious effects of pharmaceuticals that are like household yes. names, Xanax, uh, Haldol. <laughs> things yes. that people... Yeah, and the
0: majority of those things that people use to relieve those, those everyday symptoms, right, to, to, to get through their day, um, there is typically a component within cannabis, whether it be within the terpenes or within the cannabinoids, that has that similar effect.
3: Mm-hmm. So if,
0: if you find the right medicine for you, you can still get the same relief, but you don't have to pollute your body with, with, a, with a pharmaceutical that's going to cause who knows what kind of side effects and long-term effects. Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: Wow, and, and for people who are still so adamantly opposed or really skeptical or just on the fence about legalization, um, give me your point of view. of What, what is it that you're going to tell them in terms of legitimizing this business?
0: Well, I think, you know, for me personally, I have a unique perspective. Um, you know, obviously I'm in the industry. I have a, I have a stake in it, mm-hmm. right? So um, that, there's certainly um, some motivation from that side. But I'm also a father. I have two kids, right? Um, you know, I'm a member of the public. I pay the taxes just like other people. And in my opinion, I think people need to be open-minded to see that there's a variety of, of things that people utilize to find relief, right? And we are not very quick to judge them if it's alcohol, if it's pharmaceuticals, if it's overeating, if it's any of the things that they do to cope. But why are we judging them if they elect to use a, for the most part, a non-harmful plant, right, that has shown a tremendous amount of medical benefits? I mean, I think that even if you don't use it, I think you need to educate yourself. Because the biggest thing that I see is that there's this lasting stigma and cloud, you know, clouded judgment over cannabis because people have had it pounded in their head for as long as they've been alive, that it's bad, bad, bad. Reefer madness, you're going to go crazy. It'll lead you into the worst things in the world. Well, that's hard to undo. So Mm -hmm. we have 80 years of misinformation, and now we're trying to hit the fast-forward button to bring everybody up to speed. So I think, you know, in short, my suggestion would be make sure you go out there and educate yourself and vote with information, not with what your perception is, because your Mm -hmm. perception more than likely is skewed.
1: That's a really important point. And I think that, you know, in working in the media, um, Nate's been working in this, in this industry almost exclusively in terms of,
2: of writing and getting that story out there. What's been your experience in this? Definitely. It's very interesting to me to see how cannabis is still uh, characterized in the mainstream media, and I feel like I see a lot of uh, pseudoscientific and uh, semi-scientific at best Research and opinions presented, and uh, they're presented as fact uh, by the traditional media. And it's a little bit disappointing to me that they haven't really engaged with the community more and talked to people like uh, Ryan and uh, Dr. Hildenbrand because I think that, you know, there just are so many stories out there about the positive impact that cannabis has had on a lot of people's lives, and uh, certainly not too many about the negative impact. So I think that, you know, the media as a whole has a tendency to kind of dwell on that negative side, and I think there's probably a lot of Reasons for that, but uh, it's slow progress. But something that I definitely enjoy doing and being there to kind of present that side of
3: it. And and to touch on that important point that Nate made, I think the problem that the media has and why they've been reluctant to dive in there and really understand the situation before they report it is that they may be associated with with us in this kind of what they the shadows, so to speak, Mm -hmm. and that it may affect their career mobility in the future. Right, because you're operating in a quote unquote gray area. Um, I've actually experienced this quite a bit, um, you know, coming from a traditional background. I've done some, I do, I do quite a bit of legal consulting, and it's been brought up, oh, aren't you the guy who also works in cannabis research? To which I say, do you have a problem with me helping people? <laughs> and they say, well, what do you mean? I said, what we do helps people. We're, we're characterizing medicine, that, so kids, geriatric populations, the underprivileged, can live a better quality of life. So, sir, if you have a problem with that, then I give up. And, I mean, generally, it stops the argument pretty quickly. Um, But, you know, to Ryan's point there, I mean, I have this conversation with my, my parents, for example, very, very traditional, and, you know, again, it goes back to similar points. Do you have a problem with tax revenue? No. Tax revenue is great. Do you have a problem with helping people? No. Do you have a problem with people getting off chemical reliances, you know, and having dependencies on drugs? No, I, I I think that's great. Okay, well, then what are we talking about here? Cannabis covers all three of those things. It's a no-brainer. Um, so I think you're going to see more and more people come out of those quote-unquote shadows to support this. And, uh, you know, we're, we're already seeing it. I mean, it, it it started with, you know, referring to it as... Um, marijuana or pot and a lot of the slang words, but mm-hmm. now we're starting to use more of the scientific terms.
1: Yeah, well that's that's exactly the point here today. Yeah. yeah. You know, is to try to elevate the conversation, Absolutely. take it to a higher level, no pun intended, of
0: course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well Snowden but, and I think I think he makes a good point there, and I just on a little bit higher level, and not to go all conspiracy theory there, but you gotta think any industry and every industry is driven by the dollar
1: right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: Okay. So if you think about cannabis, there are so many facets that an industry would emerge from cannabis, whether it's industrial hemp, whether it's, you know, the pharmaceutical industry, big tobacco, um, alcohol, the timber industry. Exactly. So right. There's all these people that stand to be impacted significantly financially. So of course they're going to want to protect what's theirs, even if it isn't in the best interest of the general public. Mm -hmm. So that's where I want to encourage people to really try to see through yeah, do and their homework. See where the message is coming right. from, and if there's ulterior motives there, because unfortunately, there's going to be a bunch of people that push back, and it's going to be for the wrong reasons.
1: Yeah, well, so many, so many aspects of the, our industrialized nation uh, began with cannabis. You know, sure if you did. think about it, uh, motor oil, you know, fuel for cars, Henry yeah. Ford. Yeah, I mean, the
0: the, the the hypocrisy leading, I mean, all the way back for mm-hmm. as long as hemp's been around and as long as cannabis has been around. Mm-hmm. I mean, they outlaw it in 37, but then they have a short-term mandate where they make the make, farmers yeah. grow it. They get taxed make, if right, they don't. Right, because guess what? Now right. we have a war, and now I need cordage, and now I need uniforms, and now I need these things yeah. that are more sustainable and cheaper when they're made with hemp yeah. as opposed to timber, right? And- so, and
2: cannabis was an accepted part of uh, American pharmacopoeia before that point. I mean, yeah. it was prescribed to children and, yep. and all kinds of people for all different kinds of ailments. So, yep. you know, it's really yeah, something so, that we did a 180 on for, you know, a variety of reasons.
0: And it was, it was really to serve the few. Again, you know, there's, you know, three three or four main people in there that were, you know, they just controlled the right aspects of society at that time. We didn't have platforms like radio and Internet and Facebook and Instagram mm-hmm. and all these different platforms to, really spread the information so they relied on what was fed to them and right. unfortunately the few controlled that message and that message got out that is now what we're dealing with here everyone has this perception that of what they're brought up to believe which right. isn't the truth
1: well another another industry too which people don't really think about too much when you're talking about um the the industry's fighting cannabis regulation um would be the big agriculture And one of the things that I found out recently, well, not just recently, I mean, for the last six years since I started writing about this, was um, hemp's uh, remediation quality. So they can take a brownfield and actually remediate it, and it it doesn't require the pesticides. It doesn't require herbicides, you know, fungicides. It doesn't require any of that. And, in fact, the plant itself is carbon positive. It puts the carbon right back into the soil, and actually remediates
0: it. Yeah, but with all the good stuff, then who would own the farmers?
1: Right. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. that's
0: really what it comes down to is that is you know now the farmers would be able to do this without relying on you know GMOs and Monsanto and all these other people right. that you know kind of have a that lease. Require a, the yeah, they have like a lease on their, their life and their right. livelihood, and and you know that scares people. Mm-hmm. I love it, but it scares most people. Yeah, it I, does. it
3: is great. I, I think we're kind of, we're, well, I th- ultimately, I think we will head in that direction. I think what you'll find is we're obviously making progress to, you know, viable uh, cannabis legislation, but there's going to come a point where, you know, they get around a big table here and, you know, the powers to be say, okay, we're doing open legislation. <clears throat> yeah. And I'm going to give you guys a license over here to open a $200,000 grow operation for pharmaceutical grade. I mean, that's generally how these things go. Um, but what I can say is that there's a lot of altruists out there in the cannabis industry that even though it goes towards pharmaceutical grade cannabis, there's going to be people that have all the secrets who have been growing and have made all this unique medicine that's obviously superior to what they would start with. Um, they'll hold out. They'll continue to work on the grassroots level. Well, And
1: hopefully they're being smart about their developments too, because, you know, I can only imagine, and I am a conspiracy theorist when it comes to this, I can only imagine that, you know, around the boardroom at Monsanto or any of those big organizations, they're sitting there going, oh, let's see, here's a new story, and let's go patent that one. Yeah, they didn't patent it.
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, again, these are just anecdotes, but you take uh, someone like Mylan uh, with their EpiPen fiasco, and then you have Valiant Pharmaceuticals where you have uh, the CEO saying that they're in the business of profit, uh, you know, of uh, um, shareholder profit, not in getting people better. Now, Martin Screlly, I mean, the list goes on oh, there. Yeah. And in cannabis, you have people, and we, we've met some of our colleagues up in Oregon, for example, people down on their luck, they go in there and, and they get medicine for free. People just give it out for free. Yeah. You know, they're here to help people. I mean, people are making plenty of money in the cannabis industry, um, but just inherently, they want to help their fellow man. And I, that's unlike anything I've ever seen in any other field. And yeah,
0: that's the compassion part of this business, that right. we... We are very, very committed to not losing. Right. You know, that, that, that was kind of what we started on was compassion-centered cannabis care. That's the four C's in the C4. Right. right? And, and we, we consider that with everything that we do. Um, you know, we have patients that come in and we consult with them. And, you know, we certainly are. I'm not a medical doctor, but I can tell them, hey, this is the information I have. Here's some recommendations. Always work with your physician. But let me guide you through cannabinoid therapy as best as I know how right? Mm-hmm. So we do that and we also provide free testing for any of the families that have a pediatric condition within their family. It's bad enough that they have to absorb the financial burden of acquiring all the medicine and not to mention the pharmaceuticals and in-home therapy and all these things that are required when, you're, when your child has special needs. We're not going to pass along that financial burden and I don't think there's many other industries and many other people in those industries that still have that compassion in what yeah. they do. So I'm I'm very thankful to say that we've surrounded ourselves with, you know, clients and people in Oregon and colleagues throughout the country that share that, that same feeling. And I think that it, it bodes well for the future that we won't lose that that purity, that pure part of this industry. I really hope yeah. that never goes away.
1: I, I hope not either. And I think that um, that's one benefit of the fact that it still hasn't become federally legal.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's certainly when you introduce the federal level, I – you know that they don't do much right right now so i i'm hesitant to say that they would uh, really knock that one out of the park too do they so.
3: do they do anything I mean, <laughs> <laughs> honestly i am having again i'm a, i'm a canadian so i've kind of got an external view of this and i look at obviously the presidential election and then what these uh quote unquote congressmen and senators get accomplished and um it's really hard to differentiate between you know, what they're getting accomplished and, you know, what my dog at home gets accomplished. Well, in we, we would days. all be
0: fired if we had the productivity of Congress. Right. Well, right? their
1: shareholders happen to be their donors. Well, of
0: right, course, you know, and there we go into it again. Yeah. So now we're Lobbyists, we're feeding yeah. those industries yeah. that feed that money mill for, yeah. for government. Um They have interest in this. And, yeah. and, it, and it has to, again, about education and making sure your perception is accurate and not based on misinformation.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, we have no control over how the legislation falls, but ultimately if we continue to work towards making new discoveries and helping people, I think that we'll be able to uh, to feel quite good about what we've accomplished here. We, again, we have no idea what the future holds for us, but I think uh, that we're going to have a long and prosperous career in this, and we're going to help a lot of people along the way. So that's something we can feel really good about.
1: Yeah, I think so. And and I think that the people in general... As they begin to understand that this is not just, you know, catering to a crowd, a, 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 a personality, cultural perception that they've been accustomed to, that this really is science. Yes, that it really is legitimate, and that it really will help a lot of people. I'm hopeful that you know, getting getting the word out, especially with companies like yours. And, you know, getting the news, making sure everyone in the, in the nation knows how beneficial this is going to be. Hopefully, that'll make a huge difference.
0: Yeah, agreed. But- agreed. I, I mean, if you look at it, our, our bodies are wired for it, right? Mm-hmm. We have an endocannabinoid system. Mm-hmm. We have CB1 and CB2, CB2 receptors throughout our body. So, I mean, if, if we were if literally, uh, you know, evolution, if you will, and where we're at this point, we're wired for that. And, yeah. it, and it's, it's a very simple fix to... Uh, a variety of ailments that we know a lot of people experience
3: that's that dangerous e-word
0: don't don't use that oh yeah Yeah. i'm not allowed to say evolution yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's a whole nother show
1: (laughs) well there's the cannabis evolution that's not a dirty word no it's not
0: and that's a good good one to refer to too i mean and that's another great thing for people that are trying to make their decision as if this is you know, uh, if they're ready to make a vote for it and, and change their their stance on it, I mean, this is this goes back four thousand years, right? A lot of the medicine that we base, uh, you know, Western medicine on now has all developed from Chinese medicine and, and those type of things. Where really it was where cannabis was was started. I yeah, mean, that's thousands of years ago.
1: And for people in the states and the nine states or whatever who are who are opposing this to voters. Um, Final thoughts for what you would tell them in terms of, from scientific perspective, What what is it, that, how are they going to benefit?
0: I mean, I, I, they benefit medically and from a quality of life standpoint. I think, you know, that goes without saying for those people that will now have access, you know, with new legislation. Um, but, you know, if if the money speaks to you, then look at the revenue that it generates from a tax perspective. And, and all of the programs that states have that are underfunded, um, whether it be education, whether it be you know, law enforcement or drug abuse prevention, any of these things, um, you need resources for that. So, okay, what we're doing now is not working for a lot of states. Yeah. So it's time to progress and it's time to look outside the box. And we have a great opportunity here that, in my opinion, the pros far outweigh the cons. Mm-hmm. And it's not you're not introducing a substance that you're going to have a rash of people running to the emergency room. No one's going to die. No. This is something that we have plenty of things that are much more harmful in our daily lives than this. So just, you know, be step back and really look at it.
1: Yeah, and Dr. Hildebrand, from yeah. the perspective of of testing requirements and that sort of thing, legislation in these states will actually help to mandate that, won't it?
3: Yes, and, and to build upon Ryan's comments, I mean, I, I think that voters that aren't familiar with cannabis and don't really understand the issues, but they understand that it's on the ballot, I would ask that they uh, make a conscious decision um, to vote in the best interest of their fellow man. I mean, even though if they don't use cannabis, they have no interest in using cannabis, they should understand that there are other people out there who are suffering with illnesses that are getting a tremendous amount of benefit from cannabis. And now with uh, you know, testing being mandated you know we're going to have a better uh, understanding of the medicine out on the market we're going to clean up you know the bad apples uh the bad actors i should say um and it's it's going to get to it's going to be a lot better environment um for those patients who who require that medicine so um of the of the 9 states i i'm i'm hopeful that at least 7 will do the right thing mm-hmm. um you know i'm i'm a betting man so i would say 7 out of 9 will do the right thing but but then again you just never know
1: yeah Yeah, well, and also it depends on how vocal the opponents are.
0: Yeah, and really the engagement, too, of of the the different demographics that are out there. You know, this is, if there's ever a time where your voice is needed, I mean, if you talk about the fiasco of the presidential race, I mean, the variety of changing of faces just here in the state legislature, I mean, now's the time when your voice is really needed, and I think there isn't a better um, uh, ballot measure that deserves your attention than than one that, that deals with medical cannabis and recreational cannabis in this aspect.
1: Right,
2: right. Do you see a big difference between the two, between medical and recreational? Cannabis? You know, I think
0: a lot of people that utilize it recreationally are probably medicating. They just don't know it, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're utilizing it because, hey, it helps me unwind. Well, other people might do that with Xanax, mm-hmm. right? Other people might classify that as an anxiety disorder, but they just don't, you know, they don't get diagnosed with that. Right. So a lot of these things that people are utilizing pharmaceuticals for are symptomatic diagnoses, right? So those same symptoms can be relieved from cannabis, and they may be doing it, quote, unquote, recreationally. But they're finding relief from it, and they're doing right. it. Right, so without, they're gravitating yeah. towards
1: something that inside their internal uh, conscience is just saying, "Hey, I need this." Yeah, and yep.
0: it, and it's not harmful. You're not going to see them, you know, hurting the next day like you would with alcohol. You're, mm-hmm. you know, I I, I would be hard pressed to to challenge you to find, you know, um, anything that involves cannabis and and you know the violence or anyone really, you know, going crazy. That's just not that's not the response that cannabis elicits within the body. So.
3: Yeah, I mean it's it's uh, just on the recreational side of things. It's an incredible anti-inflammatory, you know. So people talk about eating a Mediterranean diet that's rich in uh, poly and mono unsaturated fat that are anti-inflammatories. That's what cannabis is. Mm-hmm. And it's no wonder why you have NFL players, NHL players, M- MLB players lobbying for yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. You now the big uh, brouhaha was uh, his. His good friend, um, Ezekiel Elliott, who now plays for the Dallas Cowboys, but from Ohio State. Go go uh, Buckeyes. I had um, had to say it. You know, he found himself in a, a recreational cannabis shop in Washington. And the truth of the matter is, I mean, all of those guys must be very curious, if not currently using, because they get hit by small Volkswagens all day. And so at the end of the game on Sunday, their body feels like it's been put through a meat grinder and they want relief.
1: Yeah, we've actually we've actually spent a lot of time talking with uh, contingency from the NFL, and in fact, um, interviewed Marvin Washington recently, and we'll be interviewing uh, many more uh, football players, and and baseball players, and basketball players, and you know people who are uh, really trying to treat sports injuries instead of lining up for tee shots and Vicodin in the locker room. You know. Yeah. The, yeah. It's going to be a big a big change, I think, in sports especially.
2: I was in Tacoma recently, and they actually launched a, a new initiative. I believe it's called the Gridiron Foundation, where they're working uh, with uh, NFL players across the country to try to push for uh, allowing uh, football players to use cannabis. Uh, yeah. And they're, I believe they're partnering with uh, Sue Sisley on some of that work. Oh, good, uh, a yeah. She's an Arizona native and doing her PTSD Yeah, study she's another
1: one we'll so. be talking to upcoming in the next few weeks because uh, she's also doing the study on PTSD. And, uh, yeah, so there's a there's wealth a, of knowledge. Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, so, anyway. Oh, any last thoughts for people
3: listening uh, no, I mean, it's been a tremendous uh, pleasure having us on the show. Thank you very much. I mean, obviously, what you're doing here to inform the general populace about uh, cannabis and its value in our society, I mean, uh, that's really, really important. You're, you're doing a great thing. So um, I would just, my, my closing sentiment would be that everyone should become better educated about what's on these ballots coming up in November because there is a tremendous amount on the line. And don't just think about yourself. Think about the people that could be dealing with these illnesses and how much strain this is putting on those folks and their families. You're talking about something that can provide them with significant relief. Mm -hmm. And uh, so so let's do the right thing.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I I echo those sentiments uh, almost exactly. It really is about changing that perception and making sure that your perception is based upon real information, uh, not information that was skewed. Um, You know, I also want to make sure that, you know, the the patients here within Arizona understand that they have resources available to them, you know, that they can ask the questions, they can certainly contact us, Um, they can ask any questions they have for cannabinoid therapy, they can ask, you know, what questions should I be asking and requiring of my dispensary. Um, These are all things that it's going to be a progress of of education and we want to aid in that progress. Um, So we certainly hope that everyone understands we're here as a resource for them, certainly for you guys. Um, and we just appreciate having, you. having the platform to be here and, yeah. and speak about it.
1: Thank you. Yeah. And I'll be calling you. Oh, we'll
0: be, we'll <laughs> be back. We'll be yeah. back.
1: Good. Yeah. Cause uh, there's just so much. I mean, we've even just the tip of the iceberg today and there's just so much and I wish we could go on and on for hours and hours, but alas, we can't, <laughs> I think we have to wrap this up, Nate.
0: Sounds good to me. <laughs> okay. Well, we're local, you know where to find us. So yeah, we're, we're here for you.
1: Yeah. So anyway, well, I uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, to my guests, Dr. Zach Hildebrand and Ryan Tracy for joining us today. Also, I'd like to say a very special thank you to our cannabis reporter Nate Nichols, and um, you'll be able to listen to him next time. He'll be back. And please visit us at thecannabisreporter.com to learn more about this topic and the work at C4 Laboratories. We'll have their bios up for you and um, show you how you can reach them and learn more about all the amazing things that they're doing. And um, while you're there, you can also download the podcast of today's show and listen to it on your iPhone through iTunes or Android or on Star Worldwide networks, you can go anywhere to get uh, information about cannabis. But we hope that you'll come to thecannabisreporter.com. Anyway, I'd also like to thank Wendy West, our amazing producer, and of course Eric Goodall and Castle Creek Music for the beautiful theme song "Evergreen." Thanks to all of you listening. I'm Snowden Bishop, the Cannabis Reporter. Until we meet again, make it a great day.